Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you will be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. On this episode, Tim talks to renowned preacher Christine Kane, who also co-founded the anti-trafficking organization A21. COVID-19, a a virus that we can't even see with the natural eye, has halted the earth. I think it's a time where everyone's like, our hope has to be in something more than the money market, science, technology, my success, my career, my position, my title. No wonder the scripture says, Jesus is this hope I have as an anchor for my soul because nothing else is going to anchor you in this moment. Well, it's my uh, joy to welcome Christine Kane, a a close friend and a a woman I admire enormously, who's uh, talking to me from LA. I'm here in glorious Frankston down on the Mornington Peninsula. Good, good evening to you, Christine. Hey, Tim, how are you? I guess it's good morning to you. It is good morning to me, yeah. So maybe just starting... personally. How, how are you guys feeling? America now has the highest number of infections and uh, we're yeah. reading of death tolls. How are you guys personally feeling? I'm so, you know, grateful in the midst of this. Um, you know, I've, I've got uh, friends um, that have got COVID-19. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very close to home and very um, close friends of mine have been diagnosed with it and um, at various stages of it. Uh, but my own family is really, really good. I'm so grateful to God. You know, we've got two daughters. We've got an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old. So this is day 19 um, of shelter in place for me. I self-isolated when I came back from Australia 19 years, 19 years, 19 days ago. <laughs> it feels like 19 years, Tim. I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, 19 days ago, I. Um, I I chose to self-isolate just because I wanted to be extra careful uh, then. And then it became um, shelter in place has been here in California for the last couple of weeks. So my daughters have been homeschooling. So, and, um, and my husband's home. So currently, you know, Nick and I are celebrating 24 years married on Monday. Congratulations. Well, it is awesome, but I was a little bit concerned that, that we might not make it after these two weeks where suddenly <laughs> we are working from home together. We are, our kids are online um, at school together. It's just like I went, you know, we were having a good run at it. And so <laughs> my, certainly- my, my wife's an introvert and uh, I think this crisis is made for introverts. I'm an extrovert going cabin stir crazy. My wife says, your voice is so loud and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> well, I sleep happening. much better when you're away. <laughs> it's a bit like that. It's, and, and you've got, so you've got the kids on all their Zooms for school and then I'm on Zoom to my teams and Nick's on Zoom to his team. And so everyone's like on at once. It's, it's an interesting, um, <laughs> you know, exercise in really growing in the fruit of the spirit, I think. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people are reading Albert Camus' book, The Plague. And uh, in The Plague, he says, the first thing that happens when the plague comes is a feeling of exile, the void of exile. And that sense that we can't go and get our favourite coffee and read the paper at the coffee shop. We know friends who've got COVID, as I do and you do. You have friends who've lost their jobs. Uh, exile is about grief. Um, when we think of you know the Bible and the loss of Jerusalem, the temple, the people who are carried into exile, it's about grief. 
Do you want to um, speak to us a little bit about how we acknowledge grief because oh, we're sure. feeling it? And I think if we don't acknowledge it, that's where the danger is. We've got to stop. Um, and I think sometimes what we do is we compare. We go, well, you know, I had someone say to me the other day, well, you know, during uh, the time of the roundups, you know, in the Second World War in Germany, well, um, people were being uh, locked in cupboards and hidden under, you know, this is not like that. At least it's not like that. And I think sometimes if we, and it's true, it's not like that. Yeah. But if you can't stop and say, but it is what it is. And for some people, like uh, I think even my own daughter, she's not going to graduate, you know, this. Mm. So there's the loss. Like I think if you don't stop and I sit down with my kids and go, okay, let's talk about you're not going to be able to do the school play now. You're not going to actually walk the stage for graduating. Um, and then, of course, way more serious things for people that, you know, uh, you're, you've lost your job, that your career trajectory is not going to be what you thought it might be. Uh, a lot of people um, in terms of the stock market have lost finances, have yes. lost resources. So I think, um, you know, the first week, everyone is just in whiplash shock trauma that you don't even know how to react or respond. I think if we don't move now into this place of acknowledging our losses, whatever, people, I've got friends, uh, their weddings had to be put off or they got married and it was just them and the vicar and nobody else, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, these are very real losses. They're not going to go on a honeymoon, um, yes. the one that they were planning to go on anyway. And so there is just this sense, not just that our normal life has been disrupted, but th some things have been permanently disrupted they will never be the same you you're not going to go back and have that marriage again you know or you're not going to be able to have your high school graduation again or there's certain things that uh, it is a true permanent loss yes. and um i think that where i'm seeing uh, certainly in our organization allowing room and space for people to legitimately feel that to articulate that to grieve that i think we will go through this process in a much more healthy way yeah. than if we just go, come on, chin up. It's not like it was in the war and it's not like it was in the 1918 plague. You know, at least we can all be connected through um, digital communication yeah. and online. You know, if we're too dismissive, because and I am hope-filled, and this podcast, Tim, I was so grateful that it's going to be about hope. So you couldn't have gotten someone more hope-filled on here with you. <laughs> but uh, I think the reason I can be genuinely hope-filled is because I'm not in denial. Yeah. And I think if we're not in denial, we can be full of hope. I, I think that's really interesting. I think uh, the, the prophets of the uh, Old Testament teach us that... Uh, if you don't grieve loss, it leads to denial, resentment, and brittleness. If you can find a way to grieve what are real losses, then you can find a basis for hope again, a basis yeah. for grounding that in roots that actually acknowledge it. Uh, is that how you see it? Oh, very much so. You know, even when Scripture tells us that Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, the, the anchor goes down deep. There's a lot of water kind of between, you know, the boat and where that anchor is going to actually, uh, you know, take root in the sand at the, at the seabed. So you've got to allow for all of that kind of, you know, the waves and the wind and the stuff that's going to Now, I'm anchored. I'm not going to go anywhere, but I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel the loss and I'm going to feel the pain. And I think throughout scripture, nowhere in scripture does it say uh, that we're to deny 
um, reality. Faith and hope are not a denial of reality. They are not a denial of pain or suffering or loss. Whoever separated faith, hope, pain and suffering doesn't read the Bible because they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, the the you know uh, I think faith and hope make sense in light of pain and suffering and loss and grief and we understand um, the fact that there's got to be more than just this. I think if we didn't have this eternal perspective, the eternal lens from which to view what's going on, there would be more hopelessness. But I think because we we look at it through the lens of eternity. We know this side of eternity, there is pain, there is suffering, there is loss. And we also know from the prophets in the Old Testament that we've been here before. I mean, we have got, uh, you know, the entire (laughs) scripture are people that have gone before us that have in varying degrees experienced loss, disappointment, suffering, pain, discouragement. And the hope is... uh, despite all of that, we, we, we're still going to get through. And I think um, that for me is I've gone back and I've, I've said even to my team, uh, Tim, I said, we don't need, um, many of us are drowning in the kind of what if fear because our mind is running ahead like what if this and what if that and what and you know the truth is none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or I said we need an even if faith to contend the what if fear and the even if faith is the faith of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego that goes and so I've taken them back to Daniel and gone you know what God can deliver us from this fire. At this moment, he hasn't delivered us from it. He seems to be taking us through it. So that's what it is. So we need a faith that goes, well, even if, even he can deliver me from this, but even if I burn up in it, I'm going to still praise God. That that is faith and that is true faith and true hope. So I'm taking him back um, to Habakkuk who says, you know what, though the fig tree doesn't prosper, though there's no fruit on the vine, yet I will. And I said, we, our confession here needs to be not one of fear, what if, but even if, and yet I will, yet I, whatever happens, God's in control and he's going to give me the grace to be able to get through um, what I need to get through. I think that's what hope is. It's, you Absolutely. know, it's not, it's don't, not don't you think, Christine, that um, we often confuse hope and optimism? Optimism seems to be a preference. I'm yeah. optimistic that it might turn out. Hope is a choice, hope mm-hmm. is an act of the will, even if I get burnt up. Um, totally. I'm, I'm often struck. I think Viktor Frankl said we, uh, he was in, in Auschwitz. He said in that terrible situation, we don't get to choose the difficult circumstances we're in, but we do have freedom to choose how we respond to them. And hope seems to be a choice over and against optimism. I think very much so. I mean, you, you know, we see it, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, Zechariah says, you know, we, we're prisoners of hope. So you just make a decision. I, I'm telling our team, you know, this is very real for us, Tim, in real time. Nick and I have got literally hundreds of staff, like, you know, all around the world, 18 offices. And um, so we're in varying degrees of lockdown in different countries and, you know, what you could do. And so I'm going, well, at the end of the day, we, we can wake up every day um, I cannot control this pandemic. It's it's above my pay grade. I've just it's not. I can't do that. From my lens of faith and hope within my sphere of influence, I'm choosing to be a prisoner 
of hope. And I love that phrase in the book of Zechariah. I mean, you could tell I'm going to the prophets. We're in Habakkuk. We're all over the place here. We're, we're in Habakkuk and Daniel and Zechariah. And I'm like, I am going to be a prisoner of hope. So that basically means I'm going to chain myself to Jesus in the midst of all of this because my hope has to be in Jesus. It's going to be just when I thought this thing was going to, you know, the curve was going to flatten in this country, it just spiked again. So, you know, you just go, here we go again. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I have found, but I can tell you, I'm in day 19 of, uh, you know, kind of my shelter in place and I'm as hope-filled and as faith-filled as I was day one and I'm even more aware of the cost uh, in terms of team and when it comes to mental health, when it comes to just um, my friends, more and more people that I know personally being diagnosed. um, And you just kind of go, wow, okay, the reality is there. But um, my hope, my hope is there. I I can't even explain it to you, but it really is there. In, In some ways, we now know we are all vulnerable and invulnerability has uh, been the experience of people who thought God would always protect them. That's the experience of the loss of the temple and exile. And in America, 9-11, it was 3,000 that died and two massive buildings that came down. But the biggest shock probably was America is no longer invulnerable. We actually are vulnerable. This shouldn't have happened to us, the greatest nation on earth. Well, the virus has actually shown every one of us is profoundly vulnerable. And in terms of vulnerability, vulnerability isn't that a statement of uh, what it means to be created, to be dependent on God, to have to live by faith? I think that's the bottom line is that, um, you know, I was reading a, a report and a testimony from a doctor in Milan, in one of the hospitals in Milan yesterday, um, and who was a a self-professed atheist, the, the, the head of his unit, um, just so overwhelmed, obviously, over the last month by what's going on. And yesterday he publicly said, um, I used to, my parents were uh, 90 years old and I just mocked them um, for being in church all the time. And he said, we have just been so overwhelmed this last month. I thought we didn't need God. I thought mm. science and medicine had just, you know, mm. kind of ex- shown us that we don't need God. It's just a matter of time till we're going to be able to control everything. And um, he said there was this one priest that would come in 75 years old with a Bible And he said he was giving people something I couldn't give them. While we were selecting who who we were going to treat, he goes, basically, I don't even feel like a doctor anymore. I just feel like a selector. Um, He said this man with his Bible would come in and give people hope. And he was like saying this. And then he said, um, and then he died yesterday, like the, Mm -hmm. the priest died, 75 years old. And he goes, and I just realized the slight bit of hope that I've had this last month died with him so i went and made an appointment to talk to the bishop and then he came out and said and i gave my life to jesus christ because i don't have any other hope and i just i started weeping because i thought that's the reality that you know i think in the sort of post enlightened world that we live in the very scientific rational world that we live in a lot of a lot of humanity sort of thought you know i'm okay we're going to work this out and we're realizing from the heads of government you know, today, the, you know, the Prime Minister of England is like, yep, no Boris one Johnson. Is yep. Yes, that's what we're all discovering is yep. nobody yep. is exempt 
that we are created, not creator, and no matter how many technological, scientific, medical advancements we have made, we are not masters of our own destiny. COVID-19, a, a virus that we can't even see with the natural eye, has halted the earth, the economic markets, um, you know, everything. It's halted the entire planet. I think it's a time where everyone's like, our hope has to be in something more than the money markets, science, technology, my success, my career, my position, my title. Um, in many ways, no wonder the scripture says, Jesus is this hope I have as an anchor for my soul because nothing else is going to anchor you in this moment. I love the fact that Father Berardelli in Bergamo, up near Milan, had been given a ventilator by his congregants, his church community, because he had COVID-19. And he chose to give it to a younger man, knowing that he was going to die. And wow. I say to myself, what if I knew my lungs were going to be filled uh, up in two weeks' time? Am I ready to die? Am I ready to hand it over to someone else? That, that statement uh, of faith just so profoundly moved me, Christine. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we go back and we read what happened in the 1918 Spanish plague. And we, we hear stories like that all the time. I mean, I, I just, you said that I got goosebumps all up and down my arms and um, tears stinging my eyes because I'm like, that is the question. I mean, these are the stories of faith, that, that, that story. These are the stories of faith we're going to be hearing um, all over the world that are going to make people actually realise that Jesus is alive. I mean, that to me is the testimony that he is, that someone would say, listen, I'm okay. I, I know where I'm going. My eternity is secure. Uh, you need this oxygen. You need this ventilator. You're younger. You've got more life. Where people see that death has lost its sting. I don't know how else to word this. I was saying this to some of our team today. I said, we are all going to die. I, I, COVID, I hope COVID-19 isn't the thing that takes you out. But if it's not, just live long enough. Something else is going to. I mean, I, I don't know anyone that's gotten out of life alive. So it's, it's all that this has done is awoken us to our own mortality and the conversations, my own neighbour, uh, literally my physical next door neighbour, um, her immunity system's been compromised for a really long time. She's been yeah. very sick. So we are communicating via letter, you know, and I'm making sure I'm doing everything right and purelling and, you know, uh, putting a glove on and putting it in an envelope. But I'm, um, we're, we're corresponding more now than we ever did because the, the questions are starting to really come out like, okay, um, it's like when, when death faces us like this en masse and the whole world has stopped, now, the truth is death has not stopped on any day since, yep. since the you know, like, like, it's, it's been happening. And I'm, I'm trying to say to people, you know, basically the evangelist in me is like, this is what I've been talking about most days all of my life. But it's like uh, it's there's been a lot of noise, a lot of noise that it's been lost on. But for the first time, I could say I'm 54 in, a, you know, a couple of months. Um, I'm hearing and I'm seeing people who didn't have ears to hear or eyes to see, suddenly going, please, including my own family who, you know, for 30 years have really not <laughs> wanted to hear much of what I've got to say about really much. Um, and so it's kind of like, okay, I need to talk to you. What is going on? You know, and so you go, wow, wow, this is an interesting moment. That um, sense of exile that we started with, it struck me thinking of talking to you that A21 really has always been dealing with exile. It's young people trafficked away 
from home and they're in exile and they're abused, manipulated, coerced. Uh, this sense that we're all actually in exile, exile from maybe our normal social contacts, exiled from God, and we need to grieve that loss. Yeah. But hope actually has a word to speak to exile in the work that you do. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have been, you know, we've been doing this on the front lines for 15 years now and have offices in 18 cities around the world. And I, I, I said to our team, I said, we were born for this. If God in Acts, you know, chapter um, 17, verse 28, God picks the exact places and times, it says, that he yes. sets us in, that we're not a product of time, we're a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity, positioned us in time for this moment. So we were actually born for this. You know, people look at me with wide eyes and I go, but we were, because God picks the times and seasons we were here. So, and all of our work for A21 these last 15 years, I believe, has been preparing us for this because I feel even with what we do with A21 um, and our fight to abolish slavery everywhere and to find the vulnerable and the marginalised and the victimised um, and to help, you know, set the people free, I... Uh, I feel that we've been like first responders every day. We're like first responders. We yeah. wake up, there's, and I think because of that, we were, we put things into place. So when we knew things were coming down um, and because of 15 years of great relationships, thank God, around the world with governments and law enforcement, um, we're, we're still able with our hotlines to, to whatever degree and different protocols and different nations we're able to operate. Um, you know, we've had this week alone, um, Four people rescued from Bulgaria, from the Ukraine, from, I'm looking at Nick, Germany. from Germany and South Africa. And Wonderful. so, you know, and, and rescued and the, um, the police um, are working to bring the uh, young woman from Germany to Bulgaria into the Freedom Centre. And I just thought all of those years of prepping that in a global pandemic, when there's so much pain and suffering, there's no doubt about it, uh, when I tell my team these stories of hope, I'm going, in the midst of this, God still cares about the most because the ones that are most at risk, of course, and highly vulnerable are traffic victims. Nobody's looking for them. They can't self-isolate. Uh, they don't get a chance of shelter in place. I mean, you know, like it, it is, they are so vulnerable. And I have been on my knees and our whole global team and partners um, that, that, that from day one, instantly I dropped to my knees and I went, we have got to intercede for the victims out there because, you know, we can all self-isolate. I'm here in America and, yes, we've got statistics, but I'm in a home, I've got water, I've got safety, I've, I've got nothing to complain about. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely okay. Um, but our victims and then, you know, injustice does not stop because there's a global pandemic. So the traffickers are thriving in this yeah. moment. They're exploiting this moment. You know, like any pandemic... They take the opportunity, don't oh, they? Totally. So there's, there's opportunity and opportunistic and they are milking this, you know. So we are, you know, if I didn't have hope, Tim, yeah. I, I would be despondent. I'd be in despair right now because, you know, you and I, because of what we do, we're on the front lines, we've read the reports, we've sat with the victims, we know what is happening in darkness in this hour. We really know. And um, so 
if I let my mind go there, I just could be overwhelmed with despair. Um, so my hope in Christ and my, and my true belief that prayer can make a difference is what gets me out of bed every day, interceding for those victims, believing God to shut down those traffickers. And, I'm, and you know, we're still, uh, we, Nick and I were talking today just about a particular case. Um, and I'm like, in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we can't go to court because you can't leave. But, you know, the cases are still open. Four victims this week are in safety. And I'm hanging on to every one of those. That, to me, is light in the midst of darkness in this hour. I, I ask myself each day, what work can I do in this crisis? What love can I show in this crisis? And being a voice uh, for people who are Syrian refugees told, you know, you've got to wash your hands. They say, we can't wash our children even once a week. You've yeah. got to socially distance. Well, we're in a tent with 12 others. <laughs> How do you socially distance? To actually raise in prayer these situations in uh, inviting Christians and others to be generous, to keep yeah. them in our minds is some of the work I can still do. You can still do in this crisis. Yeah. And that's what I say is that we can, we can all do something. We can't, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do one thing. And so I, I, I um, when people go, well, that, that's just prayer. <laughs> I'm like, I, I am such a believer in prayer. I, I couldn't do what I do. It is the foundation of everything. And so imagine what might just happen if a whole lot more of us actually started praying, and not as a default last resort, but truly, truly saying, God, I'm going to pray and believe you and pick a people group, pick a vulnerable group, pick a group. You know, all of us in some way can be generous with our time, but me writing a physical letter to my next door neighbour and, and putting it in and, and helping them say, what can I do? Where, where can I go? I mean, everyone can do that. Everyone's got a neighbour. You know, it's not like some people think, well, I'm not Tim, I'm not Chris, I can't run a big global organisation. I'm like, we can all write a letter to our neighbour. We can Absolutely. all do <laughs> and drop a food parcel. Though it's, exactly. it's fascinating to me that um, it's different this crisis to say war and other crises. In war, we men enlist and go off and fight. We know who the enemy is, and the women at home run the factories and uh, the economy, and we're active. Uh, in this crisis, because the virus is behind our lines, it's actually in our community, it's not an enemy over there, to be able to pray, to be able to actually do things that are active hope-building exercises are so important, don't you think? Absolutely. And utilising um, our online connections and our social media, this is not a time to be going on rants about everything. This is a time to be speaking hope. Everything we post, offering hope, offering life, uh, not getting into sensationalism. You know, um, yeah. I, I say to some faith-based people, could you just keep all your cray-cray theories to yourself? This is not, <laughs> we just don't need um, everyone's cray-cray theory about yeah. everything. This is not the time to start asking what caused it, who caused it, who's, I said, could we who's just <laughs> mobilise? Oh, really? Can we just mobilise ourselves to action? Um, there are, some of us are in a position to be able to be generous with our time, with our words and with our money in this hour. There are, you know, and if we can, we need to be because there are organisations on the ground that are getting supplies to people that if those people don't get it, then they're going to die. There is no other way around it. And so I, Nick and I are looking, um, even within ourselves, going, okay, who can we be helping? Yes, we're doing even what we're doing 
doing with A21 outside of that? What can I do for my neighbor? What lists of groceries can I get for them if that's what they need or whatever they might need? Uh, what other organizations around the world that are involved in other things, what have we got? And what can we give from what we've got? Um, not getting to a hoarding mentality that goes, oh, no, if I support that thing, right? Again, that's that what if mentality. Yeah. What if I give this now? I'm not going to have something there. And, of course, I'm not talking about being unwise in any way. But, but some of us, it's not a lack of wisdom. It's just a lack of generosity. We could be being more generous in this yeah. hour. And, and I think it comes down to, again, that even if, thought that goes, well, you know, I'm not going to freak out with this what if so that I'm so tight now that I'm not helping someone that would literally die if I didn't help them. I'm going to have an even if that goes, well, I'm going to do the best I can do. Um, and you know what? Even if, well, even if I might run out, I don't know what's going to happen a year from now and where I'm going to be. So even if, yeah. here I am. You know. the, the, the beautiful thing that you're uh, speaking that I think we both share is this real belief there is a resurrection that this isn't the only life we've got we've got to squeeze every experience every advantage into this life we actually can live sacrificially we can take risks we can love we can be generous because we have a faith in another life is that how you that's see it, your you faith? I think you've summed it up beautifully because I think that's where our hope comes from. You, you've see the the people that don't have hope or fear with that whole what if you know playing out scenarios. When your ultimate hope is rooted in this absolute confidence in resurrection life, I'm like, I, I, even if because I don't have a what if because <laughs> I know that you know where I'm going. There's not going to be any more crying. There's not going to be no more pandemics. No more war, no more human trafficking, no more poverty, no more hunger, no more abuse, no more pain, no more suffering. So I'm making a withdrawal from my future hope into my present reality. What fear makes you do is freak out in your present based on a future unknown. Well, my future is not unknown. Yeah. So I'm making a deposit. It's kind of you go to a bank deposit. I'm depositing on my future hope, my future joy, my future peace, all the things I'm going to have. So I'm like... Before I see Jesus, I want to be like that that priest that you just mentioned. Yeah. I, like, imagine your last act on earth is yeah. saying, I gave what I had for somebody else. I'm like, what a way to step into glory. I mean, that that's awesome. Well, that is a fantastic note to uh, finish on. To you, Chris and Christine and Nick and all the A21 people, you're in our prayers. Thank you. Thank you so much for the hope you inspire. And we know where that comes from. Thank you for being part of this. Thanks so much, Tim. You're awesome. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation.